scripture reading this morning is from Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. Be found on page 823 and 824 in Pew Bible. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who trust in him. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we do welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We're always thankful for the opportunity to come together and worship God. And so uh, to each member, we're thankful that you're here. How wonderful it is to be a part of a family, and especially the family of God. When we think about good things, we've had so many in the past, several of them have already been mentioned this morning, and we've got good things just around the corner, as in in the morning. And uh, we have Teen Vacation Bible School. It will begin in the morning, go Monday through Thursday, 9 to 12 o'clock. And it, the theme is The Price is Right. And we will be studying about the price of a soul, the price of discipleship, the price of the church, and the price of sin. And it should be a tremendous study. We have some great speakers lined up and great activities to drive home that topic. And so if you're a 6th through 12th grader or you have one in your family or a next door neighbor, uh, be sure and give them an invitation. And we look forward to spending the week together uh, in Vacation Bible School. Also, we are thankful the Brazil team is at home and that great work was done. Uh, we will say a little bit more about that tonight, but we truly appreciate Doug Williams and his leadership of that mission trip. And then also he and Sharla is serving as a liaison uh, between us and the Fowlers and the great job that they do. Also, we're thankful that our stateside mission trip is home and that it was a great trip in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, as well as Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. And we'll say more about that also perhaps tonight about both of those mission trips. Uh, we're thankful for Mike Kibbe and for Scott Owens in their leadership of this campaign uh, of about 100 people. And it, it was a tremendous time together, and we give God the glory uh, for the success of that. Let's talk about homecoming for a few minutes. Doug's already prayed about it, and we hope that from today forward, everybody will be praying about it regularly. There's so much good that can come out of this. If you're sitting on the end of a pew, uh, you could look over there beside you and you will see two different handouts. One is a postcard and one is a brochure. 
And if you will, will you take one of each of those and pass it down and uh, either side that you're on and help the people in the middle make sure that they get one? Uh, because of first service, there could be a pew that's empty. So if you have extra once they passed out, just see if the people in front of you or behind you need one and, and kind of help us spread them out if, if that needs to be the case. Let me tell you one reason why uh, we're spending a little bit of time on this this morning. One is homecoming is only a month away. And so if you're going to give an invitation, being a month out would give individuals, especially if they're not right here in Mount Juliet, it would give them an opportunity to make their plans to travel. And so we hope that you'll use the postcard uh, to communicate if, if you want to do it that way or through social media. But we hope you are helping us get the word out. If you had kids that grew up here or fa other family members uh, that, that are no longer here or just individuals that have uh, loved the congregation here and they would love to have the opportunity opportunity to come back and just kind of have a reunion time together. So please help us get the word out about that. But also another reason why we're talking about this morning is uh, our tradition is our male interns always preach a Sunday morning here at Mount Julia. And so for the next two Sunday mornings, our male interns are going to be preaching. After next Sunday morning, that afternoon, my family and I will begin our family vacation. And so I won't be here that Sunday night. And then the next Sunday night is a fifth Sunday night. And, and so I won't be preaching then either. And so the next time I stand up to talk with you about homecoming, which tonight could be an exception. I'll be here tonight. Uh, but we won't be talking a lot about homecoming. But the next time I talk to you about it will be the week before homecoming. And so I got to thinking, we've got 12 events tied into homecoming. How can we communicate without it taking the whole sermon time, which that wouldn't be best to do. We know that. And so we thought, you know, we can give a postcard that hopefully that size you'll keep on your refrigerator, you'll keep handy, maybe you'll even give it away. Uh, but what if we also created a brochure that gave a brief description of every one of those events and the hope is not only that it describes the event, but maybe it would even answer the questions that you might have. And so as you read this and over the next couple of weeks, please feel free to ask us questions of questions we didn't answer because over the next few weeks through social media and announcements and et cetera, we just want to give you the information that is most helpful to you. Allow me to mention just a few things without going into great detail. I'm holding a postcard right here that from a distance, you probably think it looks just like the one you have. There is a difference. On this postcard, it actually has a box to put an address if you want to mail these postcards. There started out this morning about 200 at the information center. And so if you know, hey, there's four or five people that I want to mail these to, go by after service and, and get the ones that it will be much more convenient for you to mail these if in fact that's what you want to do. Let me mention a couple of things briefly about the brochure without, we're not going to take the time to read it together. But you'll notice as you open it on the left side has several Saturday events that pertain to the whole church family pretty much. And uh, one is at noon we'll begin the picnic at the park. Grilled hot dogs will be available then. At one o'clock a watermelon cutting will be available and at two o'clock Kona ice will be available. A lot of children's activities, but we hope that those three hours you come and go as you please, but we hope that it's a, a wonderful opportunity to visit. We're already hearing about people coming in from out of town, and so it will be a wonderful time to catch up with others that are planning to come in also. Some of you will want to leave early there uh, to make it up here for a three o'clock singing. 
We have listed here all of our song leaders for about a 30-year period of time, and most of them are going to be able to come back, and uh, each of them will lead about 10 minutes in song. And so it'll be neat to catch up with them, and it'll be wonderful to be able to sing praises to God together. Uh, if we will fit, we will meet in the chapel. If we have so many we can't fit in the chapel, we'll come in here and sing, and it will be delightful no matter which place it is. Beginning at 5 o'clock will be our youth group reunions. Our first youth minister that was of a paid position, we've had several that worked with the youth before then as deacons and helpers and etc. But Bill Spade Jr., John Thomas, Phil Wagner, Philip Jenkins, uh, there's only one exception and that is not going to be able to make it back that evening, but all of the, all of the ones listed there are going to make it back. And so if you were in one of those youth groups, uh, please come that evening. You'll spend part of your time just kind of just with your youth group. And then you'll spend part of the time with all of the youth groups together. And it's going to be delightful. If you want to bring your kids, uh, everybody can eat supper together. And then at six o'clock, that'll be at five o'clock. Then at six o'clock, uh, there'll be activities for your kids from six to eight so that you can kind of have some time just with the friends you grew up with and your kids will be well taken care of. On Sunday, there are some changes. And if you have already jumped ahead, you've seen there's a change of times. Why? The reason we're changing the times is because our Bible class and worship that morning are going to be combined. There'll be two speakers. They'll speak 20 minutes each. Halfway through the service, we'll have a time to dismiss kindergarten and down and they will go to Bible classes and the rest of us will be here during that time. We will have a simulcast in the upper fellowship room. We are expecting a, a good number to come back, and so that would make a good number in attendance. But between this room and the simulcast room, it ought not be a problem to, to hold everybody very comfortably. And if we needed to, we could even do another simulcast as we do on Sunday night right now over in the chapel. And so uh, we built in a 30-minute block between the two services so that there will be uh, an ease in moving through the crowd so that we're not, well, we won't feel like we're in a cattle chute. I don't know when's the last time you've been in a cattle chute, but it always feels really tight. And, and so we're hoping with that, that block of time between that, that there'll be an ease in visiting, there'll be an ease in moving about uh, between uh, one place and another. And because we're staying together for Bible class, there's literally less moving of the crowd, which is helpful to that also. Afterwards, well, the Torres will cater a meal for us underneath the tent and it will be delightful. And then we'll come back in at approximately one o'clock for a homecoming program. We'll talk a little bit about the past, a little bit about the present, and a little bit about the future of this congregation. We say approximately because we're gonna let the people that went to first service have a chance to finish eating, and we assume that that'll probably be about one o'clock. If it's 1.15, that's cool, that's fine with us, but somewhere around 1, 1.15, we'll start that program. Depending on when we start that, around either 2 or 2.15, we'll start our, our worship that will be the final worship of the day. Uh, it'll be about an hour long. And so we'll be out by about 3, 3.15. So if you have anybody traveling in from out of town, that's why we planned it that way. So that they can get on the road. And if they have a few hour drive, uh, they can be back home hopefully before it's too late. Also, there are several events that you can read about on the back that also are pertaining to that day as a way to uh, just show love and appreciation. But 
before we leave this, I, I just want to pause at the end of this announcement to ask you this question. Why homecoming? Why is it important? Why would we go to this much effort to, to do this? Number one, I want to suggest to you that it's a wonderful way to be reminded of the blessing of the church. It breaks my heart how many individuals in this day and time talk about, give me Christ, but I don't want the church. It breaks my heart how many people do not love the Lord's church. My hope and prayer is that anyone that's a part of this congregation and grows up in this congregation, they will deeply love the Lord's church. And this will be a wonderful time to be reminded of how blessed we are to be a part of the Lord's church. The second thing, it's a wonderful time to encourage and edify each other. It's a time that we'll spend extra time together that day and hopefully at the end of the day, we'll leave there and we'll be built up because we will have spent time with the Lord's family. But third, I wanna encourage you to think about those that are no longer in or active or faithful in the Lord's church. Can we be honest here? Every person here knows somebody that at one time was a part of the Lord's family and they're not right now. Would you please, we're begging, we're praying about it. Would you please be praying for someone specifically? And then you've got a month to have several points of contact with them to invite them. I wanna encourage every person here this will be a wonderful, non-threatening way for someone that has fallen away to come back and be reminded of what's really important. Right now, there's something distracting them. Right now, there's something that's pulling them away. Wouldn't this be a wonderful time for them to truly come home? So I wanna encourage you to think about and to be praying about and then to do something about that. Give them a call, give them a visit, invite them out to lunch and tell them how much you want them to come and be a part of homecoming. It may be that they even grew up here in a youth group and to come back for that reunion could really spark a lot of renewed friendships and then great memories that, that maybe would be very, very effective. And then ultimately the fourth reason is what Doug's already pr prayed about. We hope that homecoming will be an opportunity to remind us to count our blessings and thank God for all that he's done for us and to truly give him the glory. Warnings, marvelous warnings. That sounds kind of contradictory, doesn't it? Marvelous warnings, but yet warnings are just given to help you and so warnings really could be marvelous. I don't know how many of you have noticed lately kids and some kids not so young, like in their 20s and 30s, they're, they're walking around staring at their phones. Have, have you picked up on that anywhere lately? Pokemon Go has been released and it has immediately in just a few days time been downloaded 15 million times. It is already downloaded on 10% of all Android phones. It is the number one mobile game in existence and it's only been out a few days. That's why you're seeing individuals walk around staring at their phone because they're trying to figure out exactly like where the Mount Julia Church of Christ is because it's a Pokestop. 
That's where you are right now. And if you go next door, the chapel is a gym. And, and so you say, okay, what, what's happening here? Well, it's not just individuals. It's a lot of groups walking around. And, and they're walking around all times of day and night. And they're walking around without paying complete attention to what they're doing. And they're walking around on private property. And you know what this has created? Other than a lot of enjoyment for them, it's created warnings. It seems almost every state has been giving warnings. Police, sheriff, fire departments, the Goochland County Sheriff's Office in Virginia says that there's a number of people going to businesses, churches, government buildings when they're closed, looking for Pokemon characters. And so the Wyoming and Minnesota Police Department issued a similar warning, said, please don't try it out at 1 a.m. and walk into someone's backyard to catch one. Please, pretty please. The Tennessee Highway Safety Office said, wait, park. Then Pokemon, go, do not use mobile gaming apps while driving. In South California, the Garden Grove Fire Department encouraged warning gamers using Pokemon Go, don't get so engrossed you aren't aware, meaning be careful where you're walking, know what is around you. And then also the police and crew for Genius wrote on Facebook this warning, warning after Noticing an increased amount of foot traffic in town and finding individuals walking aimlessly in circles while staring at their phones. Now, we know that that's not exactly correct. They're not walking aimlessly. Like they're on their way to get some kind of Pokemon something and it's going to carry them to a new level or, or it's whoever wrote this is just, I can't believe the ignorance. Like they're accomplishing something. It's not aimless, but, but, um, but you got the idea. You, you, the idea is that for people's safety, there's already been a few shootings because people have gone in private property and the owners thought they were being robbed. And, and, you know, so there's a lot of warning saying, Hey, you know, let's really be aware of where you're walking and where you're going and what time it is. And is it public? Is it private? Is it open? Is it closed? Are you walking into traffic? Are you carefully watching? Warnings, warnings. When we think about Marvel, all year long, we've been looking at so many of the powerful works of God. And we've seen so much of the positive, powerful works of God that it might surprise you this morning to realize that God also uses that very same word when he's giving some of his most stern warnings. In other words, Paula, which is the Hebrew word that we get the word marvel, it means something that is distinguished, something that it's not the ordinary, it's so far above and beyond. And so as I said, we've studied about those things from the positive sense. Look at all the things God can do that we can't do. But then also when it comes to warnings, he gives warnings because there's also some really distinguished things about God's judgment and about the severity of God. Romans, the 11th chapter and verse 22 makes it very clear. Not only should we know the goodness of God, but we also should know the severity of God. At any time we camp out on one 
to ignore the other, we're going to miss truly who God is. God is very gracious, but God is also very severe to those that are opposed to him. With this in mind, we're going to study today throughout the day out of the book of Nahum. But I want to invite you first to the book of Deuteronomy. And this morning, we're just going to kind of get into this. And, and, and then tonight, we're going to come back and really put the substance, if you will, into this outline in Nahum. But why are we starting in Deuteronomy? And, and I know that many of you are following the screens, but you've got a Bible laying there in your lap. Open your Bible for this one because uh, I'm going to show you some things that's not on, on this slide right here. It's reference. You see there Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 and verse 15. One reason why I was tempted to make the whole sermon out of Deuteronomy 28, but, but I'll tell you in a few minutes why we, it's hard to pass on Nahum when you're talking about warnings. And, and so, uh, but you know, for the past several weeks, we've talked about covenants back going two months ago. And you remember that in that covenant that God made with Israel, one of the promises was that it was going to give a land of promise. You remember last month, we talked about the fact that there was that land of rest and children of Israel came right up to the edge of that land of rest. And remember, they believed, they had trust, they had faith in 10 spies, evil report, instead of trusting God. And so the punishment was they had to go back into the wilderness and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. All the adults died out there and now the children have grown into adults and now they're coming back over to the edge and, and Moses is not going to be allowed to lead them over and Joshua will do that and Moses is about to die. And so he wants to give them a final charge and he reminds them of law again. That's why sometimes Deuteronomy is called the second law. And it's not a different law. It's just a second time period that Moses presented to them. And so he lays out the 28th chapter to remind them of the covenant. God will keep his promises, but you have responsibility in this. And notice how the 28th chapter, the first couple of verses read. Now it shall come to pass, big word here, if... If you diligently obey, so that's trust and faith. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I commanded you today, that the Lord your God will set you. So this is a promise God will do if they keep it. He'll set you high above all the nations of the earth. And these blessings shall, be, shall come upon you and overtake you because, see so notice his conditional because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And so the following verses down to verse 14, he talks about great blessings. They're going to be blessed individually. They're going to be blessed as a nation. They're going to be blessed in the country. They're going to be blessed in the city. They're going to be blessed in the womb. They're going to be blessed in, in, in their herds and in their vineyards. They're, God's just saying, there's all these blessings that I'm going to give you if you decide to obey me. But then we come to verse 15 and he shows the other side of that coin if they decide not to do it. He says, but it shall come to pass if, there's that word again, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And if you have your Bible open, you notice the curses go for to the end of the chapter and it goes down to verse 68. And it is unthinkable the severity of, that God promises will come into their life and they eventually, hundreds of years later, did not keep the law of God and every one of these things came true. 
He talked about disease that he would allow to come in among their nation. He talked about how nature was going to wreak havoc upon them. He talked about that he was going to allow them to be attacked, mind and body, mental and physical. He was going to allow that to happen to them. He talks about the loss of their crops and the loss of their businesses. He talks about the cruelness that enemies are going to bring upon them. And leading right out of that, we go to verse 54, 55, 56, 57, and he talks about it's going to become so bad that they would eat their own children. And that came to pass. It truly talks about the evil and about the destruction and about the dispersion that would take place if they stopped obeying God. So what is Deuteronomy 28? The first 14 verses are blessings to say, if you follow me, look what I'm going to offer you. But you know what the next verses are all the way to 68? They're warnings. It's God saying, are you listening? Let me tell you what is coming if you decide to not obey my commandments. As we look at this further, I'd like for you to go over into verse 59. You notice the sentence begins in 58. And by the way, 59 is on the screen there. And Deuteronomy 28 and verse 59. And as we read this, I want you to think about our theme for the year. And it's no surprise that, that as he's describing things that's going to happen to them, he uses that word, Paulo. Verse 59, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary, that's the word, extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sickness. You see, usually whenever that word Paul is speaking about something positive, it's described or it's translated into English as marvels or wonders, sometimes even miracles. But see, usually in English, we don't think of the word marvelous describing something that is so horrific. And so here the translators chose to translate that very same word, extraordinary, because we can easily in our English language associate that with something negative. Oh, that was an extraordinary plague. It was a horrible, in other words, it wasn't the ordinary. God was involved in it. It was far beyond the ordinary. Do we see God? Do we see the goodness and the severity of God? Do we listen to the warnings? Where could we go to find that? Let's spend the rest of our time this morning in Nahum and we'll just start to get into it and you come back tonight at six o'clock and, and, and we'll finish this study in Nahum together. If you have your Bible open there, you notice that you're only looking at three chapters and it's only about 60 verses and he's writing specifically to and about Nineveh and he's speaking to Judah. And when we think of Nineveh writings in the Old Testament, there are two prophets that immediately come to our mind. One is Nahum, and he is writing about judgment. He's writing a book of warning. He's writing about the severity of God. And then many of you have already had it flash through your mind, right? The other one with Nineveh, even our kids could tell us this. It's the prophet of Jonah. 
Jonah was sent to that city about 150 years before Nahum. And he was sent to a very wicked city with the message of God willing to allow them to repent or they were going to be destroyed. And they listened. The king began to fast. He sat in sackcloth. He repented. He commanded the entire city to repent. And God spared them. So when we think about Nineveh as it relates to Jonah, we think about the goodness of God. We think about the graciousness of God, that he was long-suffering with them. But over the next 150 years, their heart became hardened against God, and they would no longer turn to God. And so God sends Nahum. And Nahum gives this message, and this is, you talk about to the point. He starts writing and immediately gets to the point about the severity of God, the judgment of God. Let me give you a warning of how this is going to end if you don't turn around and it doesn't turn around for them and it does end that way. I don't think it's a coincidence that God shows us two prophets to that one city and he shows us the goodness of God Jonah and the severity of God, Nahum, to that one people. And today, in a symbolic sense, every one of us here are like Nineveh. And we will experience the goodness of God or the severity of God based upon what our choice of response is to God. So the first verse just introduces the fact that he's writing a burden, he's giving a testimony and about Nineveh. And then the second verse, he begins it. And so really the second verse, if you will, is the beginning of the testimony. How's he going to begin? Well, I think I've already said this, but let me pause and make sure that we're real clear on this as we go into this study for the rest of the day. All year long up to this point, so for six solid months, we've studied about the marvelous works of God and how much God has done for us and how blessed our life can be. But I would not be faithful to preach the whole counsel of God if we didn't take some time to also see the marvelous works of God's severity. And so when I thought about how can we do that, how, how can we accomplish that in a Sunday morning, Sunday night lesson, it became clear the answer is in that little short book because it immediately gets to the point and it says it so well. And so here's how it begins, verse two. This is the beginning of the story. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. Can you imagine? That's how it opens. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. He doesn't stop there. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. What do we see there? We see the severity of God. He opens up almost as if to say, hey, you've had your Jonah days and you rebelled and now you're going to have the days of Nahum. You're going to have the days that Nahum talked about. You're going to meet a God who is vengeful. 
We're not supposed to seek vengeance. Vengeance isn't ours. Romans 12 tells us, vengeance is mine, the Lord says. I will repay. Nahum opens up speaking to the people of Nineveh and in essence, that's what he's saying. Vengeance is mine. If you want to stand opposed to me, you want to be an enemy of me, you want to not trust me, you want to think your ways are better than my ways, I will have the vengeance and it will be furious and it will be destructive. I reserve my wrath, he says, for my enemies. Romans 1 and 18 tells us what stirs the wrath of God. It's all unrighteousness and ungodliness and those who suppress the truth and make it into a lie. That's what stirs the wrath of God and causes us to become an enemy of God. Now, does he stop there? No, look at the very next verse. The very next verse he says, and the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Now, many scholars, you don't have to be a scholar to believe this, it, it just kind of makes sense. Says that that first line there, when he says the Lord is slow to anger, is probably a reference to remind us of the days that Nineveh experienced with Jonah. God didn't come in and just blast them and destroy them. He gave them an opportunity to repent. In other words, other scriptures would call this the long suffering of God. What if God came down and immediately struck us into condemnation the moment we sinned? Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger? Aren't you glad that he gives you an opportunity to submit to his grace and receive the forgiveness and become a child of his? But now notice that next phrase after the conjunction and. Slow to anger and great in power. Don't confuse the fact that he is patient, that he is slow to anger with weakness. Just because he is slow to anger, he is not anywhere close to weak. In other words, don't fall prey to like the people did in 2 Peter the third chapter where they thought, well, if God isn't doing something today, uh, maybe he's not around. Maybe he can't do it. Maybe he's not gonna do it. We're not gonna develop this, but look quickly there at 2 Peter 3 and 9. I just want to remind you of this. Do you remember where they were thinking that God wasn't going to keep his promise of sending Jesus back again? And he says, no, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. In other words, if God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. But notice the next part. But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Peter literally writes and he says, oh, you guys are wondering why God hasn't come down and, and cast judgment right now? It's because he's long suffering. He's giving those that are not faithful to him right now the opportunity to come to him. That's the long suffering of God. And so then he reaffirms in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In other words, he's saying, okay, so he hasn't come yet. That doesn't mean he's not coming. He's still coming and he's going to come like a thief in the night. Now, we just read the first part of Nahum, the first chapter of verse three. I want us to read the last part. And as we read this, I want you to think about what good is it to say something if you can't back it up? And, and I know, you know, like in, in our Western hemisphere, we have an expression that talk is cheap. And I'm not suggesting to you that it was that exact expression throughout all ages, but I'm telling you that kind of mentality has surely always been in existence. And that is big deal. If you talk a big talk, the question is, can you do it? Can you do anything about it? 
Now, tonight we're going to come back and we're going to put a lot more depth into who were these people in Nineveh and, and the story around Nahum. But let me just say it to you this way. Nineveh was the queen city of its day. It was powerful. It was rich. Nineveh was the king city of its day. It was the capital of Assyria. People shook in their boots when they thought Assyrians were after them because not only were they so powerful, they were so brutal. They didn't just destroy their enemy. They were known for torturing their enemies to death. And so you can imagine Nahum saying to this beautiful, powerful, brutal city, oh, God's going to judge you. And he's going to seek vengeance. And he's going to put you in your place. <laughs> right. I don't know what kind of God you have, but maybe you hadn't looked at the world map lately. <laughs> we kind of rule everything. We are the big dogs. And so then it is as if Nahum, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit writing this. So God says, let me remind you who I am. And here's some things he mentions, picking up in the middle of verse three. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. The Lord has his way in the clouds or the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel and Wither and the flowers of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt. And the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the whole world and all who dwell in it. Nahum, in a sense, is saying, hey, Nineveh, you, you think you're so big and so bad? When's the last time you guided a tornado? When's the last time you moved a storm? When's the last time, I know you've run down a dirt road and kicked up some dust. When's the last time you ran across the skies and kicked up some clouds? And when he speaks there in verse four, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry either directly or indirectly. That's a reference to like the spreading of the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land. Hey, Nineveh, you, you fought a lot of battles and destroyed a lot of people. When would you divide a sea and let it crash down on the enemy, huh? Or maybe the next reference when he talks about the quaking of a mountain, he may be talking about Sinai there. You remember the mountain quaked when God's presence was there? When's the last time you've moved a mountain? When's the last time you've melted hills down flat? When's the last time because of your pe presence, people in the whole earth just heaves? You see what Nahum is saying? It's one thing for someone who has no strength to warn you about what they're going to do. And you say within your mind, <laughs> you can't do half of what you're saying. It's another thing when the almighty God says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. And he can run across the clouds and he can part water 
and he can shake mountains and he can melt hills. He is marvelous. And that's the beginning of this message. We're going to come back tonight and, and go right from there. So as we close, I'm not going to elaborate, but I just want to read verse 6 and verse 7, us together, and we extend the invitation. So if he is that marvelous, then we ask ourselves, and we ask Nineveh, verse 6, who can stand before his indignation? Nineveh, are you more powerful than that? You, right here, are you more powerful than that? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Let's skip down to verse seven. But don't forget this. The Lord is good. His severity is not unjust and unfair and ungodly and unrighteous. Listen, I don't know how this strikes you this morning, but you need to study through until you see it. God's severity is still good. He's not unjust in his severity. But notice the second, a stronghold in the day of trouble. Nineveh saw themselves as a stronghold. And so there just can't be a coincidence why he uses that word there to say, you think you're the stronghold. Let me tell you who really is the stronghold in the day of trouble. And then how do you like the close of verse seven? And he knows those who trust him. Is that not awesome? This powerful God we've been reading about, he knows those who trust in him. I know in 2016 in North America, what we're studying this morning is not popular. We're in a religious climate of Christianity in America today where so many just want to talk about the goodness of God. Just talk about heaven, talk about love, talk about grace, talk about all these wonderful aspects of God. And you know what? We should. And we've been spending most of six months doing that. But we would not be fair to truth. We would not be fairly introducing God if we didn't also talk about the severity of God. What happens to people who live in opposition to God? God spends a lot of time telling you and I that. And we need to take a lot of time learning it and submitting to it. And so tonight, let's come back and let's finish this study, but let's close this with extending an invitation. If, if your life isn't right with God, how are you gonna stand against God? Are you gonna stand on the day of judgment and tell God how it is? No. We're gonna stand on the day of judgment and we're gonna be given a sentence of either well done or depart from me. If you've never been immersed into Christ and you're ready this morning to become a child of God, why not this morning? Or maybe you become a child of God and, and you've let something separate you from God. Why not come back to him this morning, confess sin, let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you anyway, come as we stand, as we sing.